No matter what happens in the world, God is still in control, a very present help in times of trouble. Let Dr. David Jeremiah help you start each day renewed and refreshed with his new yearly devotional called Strength for Today. This beautiful leather soft book features short readings reminding you to hold tight to God's faithfulness and find wisdom from God's Word. Receive Strength for Today in appreciation for your gift this month. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Jesus taught that exaltation doesn't come through pride or self-interest, but through humility. Is it possible to live humbly in our modern, me-first culture? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares some biblical tools for living life the way Christ modeled it, with a new perspective on love. To introduce the conclusion of his timely message, Going Up by Going Down, here's David. So, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're having a good day, and whatever day you're having, we want to make it better. That's our goal today, to encourage you and strengthen you and to help you see life through the lens of God's Word. We're studying Philippians chapter 2. We started yesterday. As you know, this is a very important passage in the New Testament. It's the passage of the Incarnation. Many people believe it's a hymn that was uh, created to celebrate uh, the coming to the earth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul incorporates it into his epistle, not as a hymn or as a theological um, expose. He, He incorporates it as an illustration of what it means to live life humbly. He talks about what Jesus did when he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death. He shows us what happened. He shows us what happened to Jesus, and he reminds us, all of us, that when we humble ourselves, it's only the first step in the exaltation, which comes, as you know, at the end of that passage in Philippians chapter 2. We'll get to our study in just a moment. I want to remind you about two things. First of all, there's a study guide for this whole series of February teaching. It's called Making Sense of It All. It incorporates notes and outlines of all of these messages that I told you in the beginning were some of the most encouraging messages I have preached throughout all of my time as a pastor. I put them together to give you a jump start to the rest of this year and help you see life from God's perspective. I hope you'll take advantage of this opportunity. Get the study guide. And in fact, do a small group with your friends making sense of it all. You'll have a great time talking about these incredible passages. Number two, we have a book that's the resource for the month of February that goes right along with this discussion. It's Rob Morgan's incredible book, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. The whole book, all 200 pages, is about Romans 8:28, which says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Here's how you can get your copy. Simply send a gift to Turning Point for the month of February, a gift of any size. Be as generous as you can be. But when you send your gift... Ask for your copy of the book by Rob Morgan on Romans 8.28. It will come to you just as quickly as we can get it in the mail and turn it around. Let's get started with part two of Going Up by Going Down. Jesus came down to be one of us, restricted into a human body, into a short span of territory. And then the Bible says he went to the cross. And there he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Some people say, well, maybe Jesus did not know when he came down here that that's what was going to happen to him. 
Maybe they took him by surprise. How many of you know you do not take God by surprise? God doesn't have the word oops in his vocabulary. So the Bible says that when Jesus came to this earth, he knew what he was doing. He knew why he was coming. Mark 10, 45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, now watch this, and to give his life a ransom for many. From the very moment of the eternal conversation in the Trinity, Almighty God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit knew all the plan for redemption. Jesus knew when he came to this earth, before he ever left heaven, why he was coming. He was coming to be born so that he could die. And the Bible says when he came, he humbled himself. And he became obedient unto death. And then it says, and yes, even the death of the cross. Crucifixion was for criminals and for non-Roman citizens. And it was a cruel method of treatment. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ endured that. And when you died by crucifixion, you died a hundred times before you ultimately died. There on the cross, the God-man God in a body hung between two thieves and between heaven and earth and took upon himself the sin and the grief and the sorrow of all mankind. He was the only one who could do it. For in his humanity, he reached down to us and in his deity, he reached up to God and he brought us together at the cross. He came down, all the way down. But wait a minute. That's not the end of the story. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that he didn't come on a one-way tour. He came on a round trip. It says that, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The passage here tells us that the one who came down went back up. (laughs) And when did that happen? The scripture says, after the 40 days, he was outside on a hillside, and at the end of 40 days, we are told, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was, what's it say, taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now let me just throw in something free here. This isn't going to cost you a thing. This is absolutely free. Sometimes people say that the ascension was the imagination of the disciples who wanted some closure to the life of Christ while he was on this earth. So they came up with this metaphor of Jesus going back to heaven. I mean, I've read that. There are more crazy books out about the Christian faith than there ever been published in my lifetime. And you cannot believe what some people write. And the worst thing about it is there are people out there who believe it. It takes more faith to believe what they're writing than it does if they just believe the Bible. Listen to me. Jesus didn't just sort of metaphorically disappear. Let me tell you how I know. Luke's record is an eyewitness account of the ascension of our Lord into heaven. In fact, Luke employs five different terms for sight. To assure the historicity of this event, we are told that the disciples 
watched that he was taken up out of their sight, that they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, that the angels asked them why they were gazing into heaven, and that they were told that the same Jesus would return to the earth as they saw him go. They watched, their sight, they looked steadfastly, they gazed, and they saw. Now, how can you get around that? That wasn't some dream. That was an actual event. When Jesus completed the 40 days, he went back to heaven. That was the beginning of his exaltation. Where is Jesus today, class? He's at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. But the exaltation isn't over. Oh, no. The exaltation is just started. And in a short time, we believe that Jesus Christ will be exalted and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everything above heaven, all of the angels and all of the people who've been raptured already, everything on earth, all of the living saints, everything under the earth, all of the devils and all of those who are in hell, all of them will one day bow their knee before him and say, he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as someone said, you can either bow now or bow later. His exaltation. Now, as you can tell, I'm pretty steamed up about this passage because it is one of the great truths of the Word of God. But I don't want to come down off this mountain too fast. I just want to tell you this. As I said at the beginning, this was not written so that we would have a great doctrinal summary of the life of Christ. That was not the purpose. Some of you say, Pastor Jeremiah, I love this paradox, but what in the world does it have to do with me? How do I get my arms around this? What do I do? In order to answer this question, we have to go back to the first few verses of the book of Philippians, chapter 2. In essence, we have to read this passage backwards. If you will allow me to do it, the Hebrews did it, let me do it, all right? We're going to read this passage a little bit backwards. We're going to start by saying, because the Bible teaches that the way up is the way down, and the way to exaltation is through humility, and that Jesus demonstrated that when he came to this earth and went back to heaven. What that means to us is found in the introduction to this passage. So go back with me to the fifth verse of the second chapter and notice that if we get our arms around this, it will create a whole new reality for us. Listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul, what are you talking about? What mind? Paul says to the Philippian believers, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And notice that at the end of verse 5, there's no period. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, and then all that passage we just looked at. Here's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. If you understand what Jesus did, it creates a whole new reality for you. It changes everything. You can never be the same. In this verse, we're talking about a new perspective. He's telling us that we are to adopt the reality of Christ as the ultimate reality of life. Life is not about me. Whoa, what a jolt. That's a head-on collision for some of you. Say it with me, it'll be good for you. It will clean out a lot of stuff. Life is not about me. Life is not about my stuff. It's not about my desires. It's not about my purposes. It's not about my wants. When Jesus came to this earth, he came for us. He left everything for us. And now Paul is saying to us, you need to understand that's your reality as well. 
As a follower of Christ, you can no longer live for yourself. You live for him, and because of that, you live for others. The first paradox creates a new reality. And it's so different than the reality of life until Christ comes. Isn't that true? I mean, I know some pretty selfless people who aren't Christians, but it's just a little short blip on their chart, and then they go back to being their selfish selves. (laughs) What Jesus wants is he wants to come and live within us and create within us the same kind of selflessness that he demonstrated when he left heaven to come down here for us. Creates a new reality. Now, that's sort of a general concept, but now we're going to get a little more specific as we read backwards. In verse 3, we read, Therefore, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others, and then let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? He's saying this new reality you have because you're a Christ follower and Christ is being formed in you, it changes some of your responsibilities. He is saying that because this is true, we can never be the same again in our attitude and our approach to life. Here's a writing that I found from an old evangelist by the name of Paulus Reese. Really powerful. Listen to it. The occasion and meaning of this eloquent outburst is simple and clear. Don't forget, cries Paul, that in all of this wide universe and in all the dim reaches of history, there has never been such a demonstration of self-effacing humility as when the Son of God in sheer grace descended to this planet. Remember that never, never in a million years would he have done it if he were the kind of deity who looks only to his own interests and closes his eyes to the interests of others. You must remember, said Paul Reese, my brethren, that through your union with Christ in living redemptive experience, this principle and this passion by which he was moved must become the principle and passion that moves you. We are going to be challenged as never before to be people of Christ. We're going to be challenged as we've never had been before to make Jesus Christ first in our life, to make others important in our lives. It is going to be very challenging to us in these days that are before us to grab hold of this truth and catch the spirit of Christ. And you know what? I'm excited about it because never before have we ever had such an opportunity to show the difference of Christ in a self-motivated, self-driven world. If we become like Christ, like this passage, we will stick out like we never have before. What a great opportunity God has given us. And then here's the third thing. Creates a new reality creates a new responsibility, and then it creates new relationships. And this is kind of interesting to me because in verse 2, we read these words, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, let me just ask a question, class. Suppose I came to you in a contemporary way. I said, here's what I want you to do. Are you ready? I want you to be like-minded. I want you to start having the same love. I want you to be of one accord. Literally, I want you to be of one mind. What would you think I knew about you because I was telling you that? You weren't getting along with each other, right? You were having disunity. And guess what? If you read the book of Philippians, that was one of the problems they had in the church. There was disunity in the church. In the first chapter, Paul says that when he went to prison for preaching the gospel, some of the people in the church started to preach out of contention, out of ambition, causing stress within the body. 
Over in the second chapter, he says to them, do all things without complaining and murmuring. Come on, folks. If you really want to know what's going on, I'm going to tell you. In chapter 4, we discover, and ladies, don't be mad at me, that there were two women in the church who were fussing with each other. And it was tearing the church apart. Notice chapter 4, verse 2. I implore Eudia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Girls, stop fussing. Somebody said Syntyche is soon touchy. She was touchy. They weren't getting along. They were fighting. And I think Paul constructed this whole thing to give them an illustration about unity and why disputes and quarrels in the church are absolutely off base and they're totally just off the radar chart. Ray Stedman says, we must never forget that this passage is set against the backdrop of two quarreling ladies in the church in Philippi. That quarrel was threatening to destroy the unity of the whole church. Then he wrote, wherever there is contentiousness, it is a revelation of the presence of pride. Pride in a single individual life, in a family, a church, a government, a whole nation, always destroys and divides and sets one person against another and perpetuates conflict and breaks up marriages and partnerships and unions of every sort. Now listen again to verse 2. Fulfill my joy, said Paul, and be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord, of one mind. And use Jesus Christ and what he did to self-sacrifice himself as an illustration of how you do that. So the way up, where is the class? The way down. Now, before we close our Bibles, I just want to ask this question. Because this is the key to the whole deal. I guess I'm supposed to be more humble. Right? So how do I do that? Well, as soon as you figure it out and you start telling people about it, you've lost it, right? Let me tell you how I became humble. It's over. And there's a story about a pastor in England who <laughs> felt that he needed to become more humble. And he went to see one of his pastor brothers and he said, what can I do to be more humble? And the pastor said, well, let me just give you an exercise. He said, I want you to make a sandwich board, like the ones you wear over your neck with a sign in front and a sign in back. On the front put, I am a fool for Christ's sake. On the back put, whose fool are you? Walk around England for three days and see if God doesn't help you do it. So he did it. He put the signs on. He walked around England. Everybody ridiculed him. He was the joke of the whole city. And, man, he was being humiliated. When he got back home and he took off the signs... He said he thought to himself, I bet there's not another preacher in this whole town who'll do what I just did. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> he lost it. <laughs> Isn't that the way we are? Humility is such an evasive thing. We think we're humble. So I want to help you understand what I've been learning. And I think as we close our Bibles today and we try to wrap our hearts around this truth, maybe we can carry this away and it will do us some good this week. Phillips Brooks wrote these words. He said, the true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against someone higher who will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Humility is not going around poor-mouthing yourself saying, you know, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. Humility is standing up straight, but understanding you're not measured by the people around you. You're measured against a mighty God. You remember Isaiah in the Old Testament? 
The Bible says, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. He describes what he witnessed. And you know what he said left? He said, I am a man of unclean lips. Here's what I'm learning. The more I understand about the greatness and majesty of Almighty God, the less likely I'm going to be to get enamored with who I am. The closer I get to God, the more I realize how far away I still am. He has embraced me in his love. I'm going to heaven. But to be godly and to be Christ-like, it's a long life journey, is it not? We will never fully be there until we are changed into the likeness of Christ. But on our way, we're to be developing this. And how do we do that? Not by sitting around telling everybody how bad you are. They already know that. (laughs) But by focusing your attention on who he is, learning to know him and to grow in him and to love him. And the more you know him and love him and get into who he is, the more perspective you'll have on your own life. And it won't strip you of your confidence. It will just help you to understand that your confidence is in him and not in yourself. Here's another way to say it, and I've said this before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less (laughs) and thinking of him more. One evening, the great conductor Arturo Toscanini was conducting Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It was a brilliant performance. And at the end of the performance, the audience went absolutely nuts. They clapped and whistled and stamped their feet and totally caught up in the greatness of the performance. You couldn't get him to quit. As Toscanini stood there, he bowed and he bowed and he bowed and then he began to notice the orchestra and acknowledge them. And finally, when the ovation had ceased... Toscanini turned around and looked intently at his musicians. He was so overcome with emotion. He was out of control and he whispered. He said, gentlemen, gentlemen, and the orchestra leaned forward to hear him. And in a fiercely enunciated whisper, Toscanini said, gentlemen, I am nothing. And that was an extraordinary admission because Toscanini was blessed with an enormous ego And then he added, Gentlemen, you are nothing. (laughs) They had heard that already at rehearsal the same day. (laughs) But then he stopped and stood up straight and he said, But Beethoven, he is everything. He is everything. He is everything. And when you see him, as a believer, without being false, you realize I'm nothing. We're nothing. Ah, uh, but he's everything. Amen. He's everything. He is all in all. And in him, we can have confidence and still have humility. Because our confidence is not in ourselves, but it is in the one who wrote the score, who wrote the charts who gave us the song, who put the melody in our hearts and started us singing when we accepted him as our savior. I am nothing, we are nothing, but Jesus is everything. And that, my friends, is the new reality of the Christian life. That's why it took a paradox to understand it. Say with me again, the way up is the way down. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Mm -hmm. 
Amen. I hope you don't forget that lesson. And it's a lesson we keep learning every day. But whenever we see it play out, we are reminded of the power of it. That God is the one who exalts us. We don't have to go around patting ourselves on the back and presenting our own resume. We live our lives humbly before God. We do the work. We keep our head down in some respects and keep moving forward with what he's called us to do. And um, the reward and the exaltation, that's all up to him. And he's faithful. So just keep moving forward, trusting him, looking uh, to him for whatever encouragement you need and do your job and be faithful to the Lord, especially in these days. Somebody asked me, what is the secret? The secret is do what's next. You may not understand it all, but whatever it is next on the list, do it and do it to the glory of God. Don't forget you can get a copy of Rob Morgan's book during the month of February. The book is called God Works All Things Together for Your Good. It's an expose, an exposition of Romans 8, 28, 200 pages of writing on one verse. And it's powerful, friends. You want to get this book to read along as we're going through these messages in February. It will strengthen you. It will uphold you. It will help you get going uh, every day. Ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point this month. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God using Turning Point in your life? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book of comfort and encouragement. God works all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Making Sense of It All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then, I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, Perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. There is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be?
If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca.